What's up, guys? Welcome back to episode 26. Today we have a special guest. His name is Rick. And I remember Rick. He's a missionary. He'll, we'll get into that story in a little bit. But I've known you for quite a while. Um, and I remember every single night I pray for you guys <laughs> just because... <laughs> It's so ingrained it's in my ingrained. in our prayers, like because my dad like mm-hmm. pray together every night, and it's just so ingrained that it's just like I, even if I don't think about it, it just comes out. So it's just yeah. we think about you every pray day. That, clean <laughs> that that that's great, yeah. and I know your dad has. Whenever he emails me, he would say, "Oh yeah, Luke and Jonah have been praying for you <laughs> yeah. every night." Yeah. And I go, "Wow, that is really cool. <laughs> thank you, thank yeah, you, guys. no, thank you." Yeah. So yeah, Rick, maybe just tell us a little bit about um, who you are, where you came from, and then what got you into being a missionary and what that kind of has done to your life. I uh, moved from Chicago to Colorado uh, for college. Went to school in Gunnison at Western State College. Uh, Ski raced on a ski team there. I had a great, great time living over there. Um, actually, uh, a hitchhiker led me to Christ. Oh, wow. Uh, I was, how old were you then? Uh, I was 23. Oh, wow. Uh, I was cool. giving huh. a guy a ride from Gunnison up to Crested Butte, which is about a 30 mile ride. <laughs> he shared the gospel with me <laughs> in within those 30, 30 miles. miles. That's, so awesome. That's awesome. Really, really cool. Uh, so that was a long time ago. That was almost 50 years ago. So wow. were you kind of close? Oh, did you go, jump? go ahead. Uh, yeah. Did, did you, uh, have any, um, like, did you know about Jesus like at all before then? Did your parents tell you? Did you know added about it at all? You know, I I, I knew we we went to church. Um, I, I was uh, my parents were devout Catholics. Okay, and uh, went to church every Sunday. Uh, sometimes even went to church during the week. Yeah. Um, so you know there there was a knowledge mm-hmm. of uh, the religious side of the the gospel. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I did have some good foundation there, but. It was uh, a religion to me and not really a relationship with Jesus Christ, which mm-hmm. when I was 23, I, I realized that there was something such as a relationship with God through Jesus. So what was that thing that the hitchhiker told you that made you, I guess, change your mind or make you understand really what it was? Do you remember? Well, you know, at at, at first um, I thought, oh, you know, I know all about Jesus. Yeah. I know all about God. You know, I was brought up Catholic, and so, you know, I don't need to hear this. And he said, well, you know, um, you, you need to hear that um, you can become a disciple of Jesus by having a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. You can walk with him like his 12 original apostles walked with him. You know, it's it's a it's a spiritual walk. It's not a physical walk like they had, but um, uh, this is something that will make a difference in your life. And I thought, well, you know, I'm about ready for a difference difference in my life. Awesome. And this sounds uh, this sounds worth checking out. Mm-hmm. So as I checked it out, I realized this this was truth. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was something that uh, that. I wanted to step into. Mm-hmm. So was it like right then in there in the car you were like I'm changing or did he plant a seed and That's a good good question. Oh. He he planted a seed and probably within the next month he followed up with me oh, nice. and helped lead me through more of the details of the gospel and uh and I I just knew that God had prepared my heart to hear that mm-hmm. and um I, at that time I was born again. That's awesome. Really cool. Do you wow. still have uh, any connection with the hitchhiker at all? Or? Yeah, I do. He uh, <laughs> he he lives in uh, Kauai right now. Ooh, uh, he and his wife, and uh, 
um, I need to go visit him sometime. <laughs> That's awesome. But we do have some contact with each other. That's okay. awesome. <clears throat> so you came to know the Lord kind of through that, and then what happened after? Did you meet your wife soon after? Did you already have? Well, um, you know, I lived in Crested Butte for a number of, of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived there from... Oh, gosh. Well, 67 when I went to college uh, until 88 when I moved over here to Aspen. Mm-hmm. But um, What did you think your life trajectory was going to be when you were pretty young? Did you think you were ever going to be a missionary or was it something totally different? Oh, gosh. You know, <laughs> I mean, if if the Lord would have uh, laid out for me everything I was going to be going through in my life, <laughs> yeah. I would have said, oh, no, thanks. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not signing up for this. I you think know. that's a big misconception a lot of Christians have is like once you accept them, your life will be so much easier and it'll be so much better. No. And in a sense, that's true in the way that you know you're saved and you know where you're going when you die. But life will, Jesus said, you will be persecuted and things will happen to you that aren't fun and aren't exciting. So that's a, a big piece of advice, I think, that a lot of people need to understand is that being a Christian isn't always going to be, or most of the time, it's probably not going to be as glamorous or happy as you'd, you'd want it to be, but it's just being part. Yeah. Um, so how did you, uh, like, did, how did God, like, call you to be a missionary? And did you, like, fight it at first, or? Um, well, um, I actually, um, started, uh, to have a relationship with a woman here in Aspen. Uh, her name is Colleen. <laughs> and, um, in a way, my call to the mission field is sort of a love story. Oh, nice. Um, you know, I fell in love with Colleen, and she was, at the time, um, going over to Lebanon to work in Lebanon. She said, oh, I can't, I can't get involved in a relationship. I'm going to be a missionary, <laughs> and I'm going to Lebanon. And I said, okay, that's fine, you know, but why don't we just get together and uh, do some skiing together before you go and you know, go have dinner and things nice. like that. So um, that relationship continued to uh, advance, and even when she went overseas, this would have been back in 2004, um, we stayed in touch by, by email and things, and um, I eventually flew over to, uh, uh, to Lebanon and proposed to her, and she <laughs> said yes. That's awesome. That's incredible. <laughs> she said yes if you'll live in the mission field with me. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. You <laughs> That's know? awesome. I'll do that. So in, in a way, it was a love story because of my love for her, uh-huh. but then her passion for that ministry of reaching out to Muslims, which is really the focus of our ministry, mm-hmm. um, uh, that passion, I, 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 I caught that passion from her. That's so really that cool. passion made you fall in love with mission work? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. What's kind of the... Well, look, quick question from Wolfgang. Oh, I, I, wa- I just wanted to ask you, uh, so when it comes to uh, starting out, do you, what was the first country you went to and were there any like particular challenges or anything or do you feel as if you were kind of just picking it up immediately because God was on your side? Um, yeah, um, a- absolutely. There, um, we felt led by God to uh, go to Pakistan mm-hmm. first, and that was back in 2011. And um, we thought, uh, uh, because our ministry was going to be focused on Muslims, we really have a heart for them and the fact that they've been um, captives of the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're in bondage to a false religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we felt <clears throat> like we wanted to go into the Muslim world, and an opportunity opened up 
to go to Pakistan. We went there on a on a vision trip to see if well could this be where Lord the Lord would ask us to go. Mm-hmm. And so in 2010, we went to um, uh, Pakistan to check it out, and we were invited to join a team uh, way up north in Pakistan in a in a village called Gilgit, and um, as it, when we were invited to to that team. We said, yeah, you know, that's what we, we want to do. And we felt like God opening that door for us. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And then how do, you, how do you approach these people from these uh, foreign countries? Like, how do you start spreading the word with them? Wow. Well, it's, um, uh, first of all, we try to learn the language. Yeah, yeah I that's imagine that's a smart move. barrier. And, uh, how, you have know, you ever shared the gospel without knowing their language in a way, or is that pretty much impossible? You know, I have never learned any of the four languages that we've had to <laughs> learn um, uh, well enough to share the gospel in those languages. Yeah. I mean, we've been in Pakistan. We needed to learn Urdu. Then we moved to Afghanistan. We needed to learn Dari. Then we moved to India. We needed to learn Hindi. Now we're in Nepal. We need to learn Nepali. Wow. And, boy. and I, I am not a good language student. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, the Lord has provided whenever we've needed to share the gospel with someone, he's provided an interpreter for us. That's wow. really cool. And um and it's a good thing cuz we couldn't do it in our in our own. Yeah. And how knowledge. do you how do you find these interpreters? Do they approach you? Do they approach them and do they already have like a, a prior knowledge of the faith to be willing to interpret uh like you spreading the gospel to the other people? Yes, yeah, yeah. We had a guy in in Pakistan who worked in the in the same organization that we did. We had a school, we had a women's vocational training center, we had a church, uh, and there was one guy there. He was a, um, a Pakistani man who had left Islam and became a disciple of Christ. And uh, we worked with him on a daily basis. And so he was always available to interpret for us when we were in, uh, That's really cool. in, in PAC. That's really um, sweet. And I feel like you're almost sharing the gospel with them as well, like deepening their faith when they're translating it in between you two. In a way, well, I think that I think that's true. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was a, they were using their gift that mm-hmm. God had given them to be able to speak English and yeah. Urdu, and uh, so at the same time, you know, I was able to um, kind of mentor that person and um, minister to them, and uh, and then you know, God ministered to me uh, through them. Oh as yeah, well. that's really cool. Went both ways. So when you're in these countries, are they more? Do you make sure to go to the parts that are more civilized in a way, or are you living like in almost a third world conditions, I guess oh, you could say? Um, we've lived in mud huts. Yeah. Uh, we were way up in uh, northern Afghanistan in an area called uh, the Wakhan Corridor. Uh, we lived at 10,000 feet. Huh. Do you we know lived- what Wakhan means? Do I know what it means? Yeah. No. I, I don't, <laughs> it actually. sounds dangerous. It, but it, it's, it's the name of a, a, a people group. Okay. Mm-hmm. There are the Wakhan people okay. who, um, you know, there's something like 16,000 people groups in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, we, we went up there and we were working amongst the uh, Wakhan people. And uh, we lived in a mud, mud house, but we had... Um, Solar panels uh, and a wind generator to give us electricity. Up Did you there. have internet up there too? Or? Um, we we could. It was it was limited okay. uh, because we had a satellite dish as well. Wow. Uh, it was it was pretty cool, you know, yeah. in this really remote area 
Um, we wow. had to make our own electricity. <laughs> uh, we had a satellite dish. So we would get about an hour's worth of electricity uh, every day. So <laughs> we, <laughs> would, we would all tune in on the Internet, you know, in awesome. order to get our emails out and things. Uh, like what, do, what do the locals think about these two, I guess, foreigners living in this mud hut with them um, or like close to them? Well, um, there were there were a couple of other foreigners as okay. well uh, who were living up there. One of the one of the women was um, uh, translating their language, um, or, or was actually putting their language into a written form. The Waki language had not been even put into a oh written form before, so she was putting it into a written form. So they had no Bible then. No, sense. no, they okay. didn't have a Bible that they could read in their own. Uh, wow. Her name was Simona Beck. Um, Killed by the Taliban oh, um, wow. geez. Uh, about a year after we left there. That's crazy. Um, but Simona was outstanding. She was incredible. And uh, so we had some other people we were living with. There were five other foreigners living with us mm-hmm. up there. So uh, is, is that a real danger you face up there? Is the Taliban mostly or just? You know, not, not, it wasn't way up in northern Afghanistan. Okay. They didn't seem to have an interest huh. in the Wakhan Corridor. Um, but... Uh, we lived in Kabul for a year, and uh, and that's where Simona yeah. was actually when she was um, she was killed. But um, you know, Kabul was a real you know security mm-hmm. um, issue there. It was very much so. Yeah. Um, I just want to know: did like did locals try to approach you and things like that, or did they more stay away from you and try to avoid you and think you're like, oh, he's a crazy Christian guy kind of thing? You know, um, uh, up in the Wakhan corridor. They were all they were all very warm and friendly, and you know mm-hmm. would have us over for meals, and um, uh, you know we'd interact with them quite a bit. Um, Kabul was not quite so friendly. Um, you know there were there was graffiti all over the walls. You know Yankee oh, yeah. Yankee go home. Uh, we had people throwing rocks at us and. Um, oh, dang. Swearing at us in English words, probably the only English they knew <laughs> were some four-letter words. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they would uh, yell at us. Um, uh, but we worked with a staff of, of 60 uh, Afghans who, who were part of our non-government organization. And we, um, we worked with them uh, on some of the different projects that we, we were running over there. Okay. So I, I'll ask the first question because it kind of fits into what we're talking about. But um, so Bethany asks... What was the like funniest cultural difference yet to get over? And I'm sure there's been a lot of cultures <laughs> you've been in, but do you do you remember one where it was like a really interesting, like in food or well in manners or we, yeah. Um, well, we had to get used to uh, not drinking uh, any alcohol um, nice. because that in Islam is um, uh, haram, mm-hmm. which means forbidden. Mm-hmm. Um, so no alcohol. No pork, uh, and I love bacon, but uh, <laughs> I had to give up bacon and a beer. Uh, I had to give those things up um, while we while we lived there, and it was like we didn't even miss them. Yeah. Um, so you know, it was it was okay. You know, that's, that's it was a crazy. small little sacrifice in order to fit into the culture. Yeah. Yeah. So is, do you try to become part of the culture almost? To um, like, you or, like like fit to their dress and yeah. Yeah, we 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 do. We kind of mm-hmm. wear what they wear, live in in homes like they live in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
try to learn the language. Right. I, I always enjoyed going down to the shop on the corner and getting some milk and trying to practice my, my language. You know, really nice. enjoyed that. Uh, one of the other funny things to, to answer yeah. her, her question, um, we were up in northern Pakistan and we went to a rug shop to, um, to get some rugs for inside our house. Um, which was a mud house, actually. Um, and um, so we bought all these <clears throat> small rugs that, you know, we thought would fit in certain areas in the house. And, and the man said, uh, you realize these are, are prayer flags? And we said, oh, yeah, yeah, or pr- prayer rugs. Oh, said, nice. Yeah, no problem. You know, we won. And we bought like five of them and put them down on the floor in our house. And Bajki, the guy who, who worked for us, uh, they're kind of as our guard and... Um, did the cleaning and did mm-hmm. some cooking. He said, oh, no, you you cannot put those on the floor. They're prayer rugs. And we went, well, what's wrong with that? Now, they're, you're only supposed to pray on them. And and this, you know, can be considered as a, a blasphemy or something. Oh, wow. So, oh, boy. Oh, gosh. So we, yeah. we brought all the five rugs back to the <laughs> rug seller. He said, you know, we're so sorry. We're, we're stupid Americans. And uh, we didn't realize, you know, how sacred these, these yeah. are. And could we give these back to you and buy a bigger rug that's not a prayer rug. And he laughed and he okay. said, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, we, we've been stupid Americans in many occasions in other cultures, wherever yeah. we've been. Yeah. But we, fortunately, we've learned from the mistakes that we've made. And, and most of the people have had good humor uh, regarding mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. What do your friends think or the people you know here when you become a missionary? So this is a question from Carolina or Carolina, I don't know. Carolina. Yeah. She's just wondering, that, like, did your family support you going over there? Um, or did they think it was, like, crazy dangerous and they want you to go over there, like, family and friends? What did they kind of think um, of you doing that? Had a mixed, you know, yeah. mixed feeling. I, I think my, uh, uh, my, my family thought I was kind of crazy to, mm-hmm. to do that. And they thought, you're going to where? <laughs> you know, that's dangerous over there, you know. And um, they... Uh, they had mixed feelings, you know, they know yeah. that, you know, I, I, I liked adventure and, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, so they realized that, well, you know, like my son's, well, dad's just going into another adventure, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, um, you know, they, they didn't fight me on it, but I know that they were concerned about my going over there. Mm-hmm. As far as friends go, you know, I had some people that really realized, wow, you know, this is going to bring the gospel. Yeah. The people who really need it. And, boy, we support you, Rick. You know, whatever you need, let us know. Um, most of our friends were very, very supportive that's of really, our, that's awesome. our going over there. And and actually, Colleen had gone over first to Lebanon before we were married. Yep. And um, so, you know, she already had a group of friends who were very supportive of what, of what she was doing. And then when I joined her... And we went over in 2011. Um, uh, we had not only all of her friends, but my friends, and then our mutual friends, who were mostly all very, very supportive. That was really cool. Yeah. And yeah, as far as support goes, um, Bethany has another question. She wrote, "What can people in the church in America do to help missionaries?" So, like, what stuff that people that have it nice over here that can help people over there? Wow, that's a great question, Bethany. Thank you. Um, you know, um, I, I think not everybody is a goer, mm-hmm. and um, there are senders, 
and the goers can't go without senders. Yeah. And we, we live on faith, and many missionaries do, and depend upon the prayer support and the financial support yeah. of, of people um, who want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they can't go themselves, but they've got the opportunity to, to help in any little, little way that they yeah. can. But uh, prayer support's important. And then figuring out what missionaries to support, I think, is important, too. You know, I, I would do your research yeah. on those people uh, to make sure to know what the money is being used for, mm-hmm. you know, to see a budget from from the people who are going overseas to, you know, maybe uh, uh, see, you know, what the cost of living is for them over there. And um, uh, just to make sure it's all going towards the right place. Right, yeah. the right, the I'm right sure thing. there's some minister, missionary groups that, you know, take a lot of money for themselves, or maybe I, I'm not maybe sure. Organizations more organizations. There's this isn't the charity. There, there, there may be, and mm-hmm. you know, they may be have have a lot of overhead costs. Um, um, you know, I, I I think that there are yes, uh, and, and I've I've seen it. Um, you know, there are some missionaries that uh, I think abuse the. Uh, um, the generosity of mm-hmm. people who are helping to support them. And so, um, you know, I think it's important to stay in touch with them, email, find out what they're doing, um, yeah. what's going on. Um, and if you're giving to a just some big organization um, and you don't know how your money's being used, um, I, I think it's better to try to give specifically to yeah. specific missionaries who you know. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's yeah. what I recommend. Is and there then, a way for uh, anyone to give to you? <laughs> well, thanks for asking, uh, <laughs> Jonah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you can go on to uh, the Crossroads Church website, uh, and um, you can find ways that you can give. And then as you click down, you'll see Rick and Colleen. Awesome. Um, we'll leave links for that in the description below. <laughs> <if you're interested. laughs> so you can do that, or you can write a check to Crossroads, <clears throat> or um, there's um, uh, a um, nonprofit organization uh, called Alabaster Jars Incorporated that uh, Colleen started to especially um, help towards uh, church planting efforts and uh, building sewing centers, uh, which is one of the things that we do in some of the countries that we work in. That's really cool. Awesome. So does the money you guys get, because it's U.S. dollars most likely, does that, because I like if you went to Mexico, and like, does the money go a long way because like the currency there in a way, or is it like? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the cost cool. of living in, in these places where we have lived uh, has been much less than living in the yeah. United States. So, for instance... We're trying to raise some money to to bring a family over to Kathmandu uh, to work with the Rohingya uh, refugee camp there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a salary for a family like that, uh, you know, might be $400 a month. Wow. And they can live on that, a family of of five. Oh, wow. uh, Could live on $400, you know, their rent plus their their food. food. Yeah. I mean, cost. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. So I guess. My question kind of is like, so when you get to these places, you obviously share the gospel, be an example of what Christ is. And then it sounds like you start like all these cool like ways for the community to learn other things while also teaching the gospel, like sewing, 
um, building other things. So if you can maybe elaborate on what those kind of things you set yeah, up. We, we've done a number of things to try to establish relationships with mm-hmm. the, the people who we want to reach out to. Um, uh, one of them, and, and this has been Colleen's idea, um, which I've gotten behind 100%, is to start sewing centers to teach underprivileged women how to sew so that they can help to uh, make a living for their family. That's really cool. That's awesome. Um, so we have 10 sewing centers right now in India, and we're just getting ready to start a sewing center in the Rohingya refugee camp in Kathmandu. Nice. And uh, if you're not familiar with the Rohingyas, they are a people group that moved from Myanmar, um, used to be Burma. It's now mm-hmm. called Myanmar. They were persecuted there to the point where their villages were being burnt down, the men were being uh, murdered, the women were being raped, and so they fled Myanmar, the Rohingya people. And um, there are 300 of them living in a refugee camp in Kathmandu, near where we live right now. And they are, they're from the Muslim background. Um, and so that really is our... our our target people yeah. is uh, uh, Muslim people groups like the Rohingya, and this is going to be a great opportunity <laughs> to uh, start a sewing center uh, and uh, and God willing, plant a church mm-hmm. uh, for the Rohingya people. That's really cool. So, uh, you, like your whole mission, right, is to convert Muslims to Christianity, right? It's like so, like generally, like speaking, you know that right? that's that's a that's a. Um, interesting way to put it convert. is our mission is <laughs> convert to convert. Them. <laughs> you know, one of the thi- you know, I, one of the things we realize is that only God can convert somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you just got to tell them you the know, truth. Yeah, God is the one whose Holy Spirit works in their life, who uh, causes them to hear the message, to be open to the message, and to receive that message. That's all Holy Spirit work. Mm-hmm. We're just, you know, our, our ministry is to um, bring the gospel to people, mm-hmm. to bring the gospel to people. It's God's job to convert yeah. their minds mm-hmm. and, their, and their souls. That's yeah, and awesome. so the second part of my question was, um, so once, uh, you know, God has, you know, changed their lives and stuff, like how, and they, you know, convert to Christianity, how does, like, the community around them act and their family do they get just exiled immediately or what happens that is a great question too and that's where for instance when we share the gospel with somebody or some of our guys who we work with share the gospel they're very honest with them about what they're getting into Mm -hmm. it's not like oh jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life Mm -hmm. you know yes jesus does love you and he does have a wonderful plan but it might not be what your plan would be. <laughs> Earthly, yeah. wonderfully, you know, yeah. Because, you know, if you leave Islam and start to follow Jesus, you are really risking your life, uh, especially in oh, a, yeah. con- a country like Afghanistan or Pakistan, uh, even even in India where we have worked uh, amongst the, the Muslim communities. Um you know, we've had some of the guys that we work with, and boy, we're privileged to work with like 18 different men from India who have come out of Islam and are now planting churches and making disciples for Jesus. We work with these guys. Some of them have been beaten up 
Some of them have had their houses burnt down. Uh, their kids are not allowed to go to the community school. Huh. Um, wow. um, even, you know, they weren't allowed to come to the community well to get water. So Dang. they're seeing these things happen. No, none of the guys that we are working with now have been murdered, um, but their lives are certainly at risk. And what do they do in this situation? Do they, I mean, do they stay grounded in their faith? It probably depends, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, the guys that we work with, the, the 18 of them that I've mentioned, mm-hmm. um, have stayed with the faith. They've even gotten stronger in their faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like, you know, like the Bible tells us, trials produce endurance. And yeah. these guys have learned yeah. endurance. And you know they're not just faking it. Mm-hmm. No. You know, because you don't fake something that you could be killed for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. But sometimes I almost see that as a blessing in a way being persecuted because you know that you're actually believing in it and it shows that you're different. Because um, here it's so easy. You can say, yeah, you believe in Jesus, but yeah, you're, it, you can live however you want um, and it doesn't really matter. But there you, you either choose the world yeah. or you choose God. So I mean, yeah, the persecution, it's so different there than it is here because someone here, I mean— they, they say some mean words, your feelings get hurt, but there you're getting beaten for being a follower of Christ. Right. We have no idea what persecution yeah. is yeah. over yeah. here, yeah. you know, not until you've been over to places like this mm-hmm. and and see it uh, or hear testimonies, you know. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like, uh, do you and Colleen feel any of that, like, personally? Do they hate you, like, just as much? Or is it, are they, like, fine with it because you're foreigners and... Um, you know, Colleen and I have not experienced much persecution, um, anything serious. You know, we've, I think they, thanks to me and my brother's prayers. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. right. Thank you, you guys. But, um, we, uh, no, we, the Lord has kept us very safe, you know, and, and we, we really, Appreciate that. Has there ever been like at least like one life-threatening time where driving up to to Ilgit, Gilgit on the uh, million-dollar highway, um, <laughs> uh, Karakaram Highway, actually it was called. Um, I felt my life in danger because the road is about uh, big <laughs> enough for a half of a vehicle, <laughs> and you have these big trucks there and everything. Uh, that's the only time I felt my life threatened is driving on the car. Yeah, highway. Some crazy roads over there. I count that as a blessing. Yeah, the fact yeah. that you don't. Yeah. Any of those? Do we want to dive into some more audience questions? Or? Yeah, I mean, we've already answered a lot of them just naturally. But um, MJ Cole, what are some major challenges you face as a missionary? Um. I'm sure there's a lot, but um, well, a lot of times um, uh, learning the language, yep. um, trying to communicate with somebody. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, a lot of people overseas do speak English. Okay, and I'm really grateful for that. But not all the time. Yeah, sometimes it's so frustrating when I can't communicate because of the language uh, yeah. difference. So that that's a big challenge. Um, you know, so, some of the other things, change, having to change your, your diet yep. uh, quite a bit because cultural mm-hmm. food is, is much different. Um, so, you know, and we get over there and 
you know, I love Nepali food, but uh, not not seven days a week. <laughs> and uh, and I'm really looking for a good steak or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so that's that's challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, challenge is the the diet yep. that you have. Would you consider it a challenge also to like uh, you know like stay in these like you know third world condition homes or do you ever you know like I wish I was back in Colorado in my king size mat like bed or <laughs> you, you know Ashley um, I don't think we've ever felt that we kind of feel like it's you know this is kind of cool living in a mud house and yeah, uh, awesome. you know on this mat that's on the on the floor as our bed and um, I, you know it's just part of the part of what makes it an adventure mm-hmm. and makes it exciting and um, you know fortunately we're we're uh, um, I don't know. Um, fortunately, we we're we don't need the luxuries. Yeah, you're happy of, with what you have yeah. there. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think mean, a lot of times you can be happier with less. Oh, yeah. Because you see people here and they have everything, but they they're I, not very happy. I think God has made us uh, be able to be content in yeah. whatever circumstances we're at. It's huge. Know, like um, you know, when Paul said, uh, you know, he he's content no matter mm-hmm. what the circumstances that he's content. And I think that's really a God thing you know he can make you content with any circumstances Mm -hmm. it's awesome and the people there when you're sharing the gospel with them are they like what's their biggest misconception you think about christianity over there because we asked a lot of guests we have on here what biggest misconception is about christianity just like in their life or here but i feel like it might be a lot different in a different country unlike things they thought was true about jesus and the bible and christianity but in reality isn't well you know i think when a lot of people think about Christianity, mm-hmm. they think of colonization yeah. of, you know, what countries like, you know, England did and India was actually a colony of the Great okay. Britain at yeah. one time. And so I think they, they think of, oh, Christians, you know, col- colonization of mm-hmm. a country. Or they think of the Crusades, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, um, or they think of... Um, Gosh, you know, they look at America as a Christian country. Oh, my. Ooh. You know, well, you know, I mean, we're supposed to be a Christian. <laughs> we were founded under We're supposed to be under God. It's supposed to, supposed to be. But then they look at everything, the stuff that comes out of America, pornography, you know, um, uh, the drugs, uh, so many things. And they think they tie those things together with, oh, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with mm-hmm. it, you know. They see the hypocrisy in it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when when people say to me or to Colleen, "Oh, you must be a Christian," um, we we would say, "Well, um, what do you mean by Christian?" Yeah, and and try to get their definition. Mm-hmm. And generally, it's it's not accurate. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. we're able to say, "Well, you know, really, what we are, we're disciples of Jesus Christ." We try to follow him. We don't always do a real good job of it, but we try to be uh, walking mm-hmm. with Jesus in our lives. And, uh, you know, we believe that he's, um, uh, that he's God incarnate. We believe that he um, died for our sins, and we all are sinful, and we need a Savior. We believe that he is our, our Savior. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the basics of the, the gospel. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you want to hear more about it, um, be glad to get together with you uh, for chai or, uh, <laughs> you know, everyone drinks chai over there <laughs> nice. uh, and, um, uh, and, and talk more. 
Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes they'll say, yeah, I really do want to hear more. Uh, and other times it's, uh, you know, no, no thanks. But you never know if you've planted a seed or made right. them think about something. Right. So as far as Bibles, I'm sure there's not really, I mean, maybe in India, most people have phones or it depends on what country you're in, right, on how technically advanced they are. Most people have phone phones okay. even in remote villages. It's <laughs> oh, funny. Wow. You know, you get in and they've got their phones yeah. and, you know, <laughs> satellite dishes and things. And, uh, and um, you know, they've got the Quran on their phone. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Which you can get on, online. You can also get uh, just about any Bible translation mm-hmm. online. And we actually... At a lot of the trainings that we we did, and we we do trainings to equip men and women who have left Islam to equip them to share the gospel with others, and we give them a little micro SD cards that nice. have the the Bible in their language, which might be Urdu mm-hmm. or it might be Hindi. Uh, it has a Jesus film in their language. <laughs> nice. Uh, and it has some other things, worship songs and things like that. And we hand out these little micro SD huh. cards then to use for them to use them as tools in their own ministry. That's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. do they use mostly just the Bible on their phone then? Or is there? Yeah, um, the Bible on the phone yeah. um, because, you know, a, a hard copy of the Bible is uh, evidence against them. Okay. Yeah. And so do people never come and check their phones and stuff like that? Or I guess it depends how well, hard yeah, persecution uh, is. Sometimes, you know, yeah. um, you know, if they get to that point where, you know, they really suspect and uh, they'll demand that mm-hmm. they give them your, your, their phone and, and then, you know, of course, that's evidence against them. But yeah. um, it's not quite as obvious as a, as a, yeah, as a Bible. <laughs> big Bible. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, I think we all answered all the – oh, no, here's one, another one. Um, so – Hey, what is your thoughts on the vaccine? I heard people saying it's the mark of the beast. And so you, you've probably had to get the vaccine to travel to some of these countries, right? Or um, it, it's, it's helped uh, yeah. with all the travel that we do to, to have the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I support people who say I'm not getting a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, I support people who say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it. Yeah. Um, you know, because of the data that I've seen and uh, so-and-so, I'm going to get the vaccine. And uh, I think, you know, things are – there's so much data on both sides of that argument, uh, you know, and, and I'm I'm not a scientist, so I, I can't really yeah. know what to pick and choose. I just know for myself, um, since I'm in an older age category and since I travel a lot, mm-hmm. um, it was – I felt the wise thing to do was to get get the vaccination yep. myself. I think we agree with you. Yeah, it's like yeah. you can take it, you can't take it. We don't really care. I mean, and I don't, definitely don't think it's the mark of the beast. No. If you do your research on the mark of the beast, you'll see that there's a lot more, I think, things attached to what that's going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, so the, we have a lot of other questions that don't necessarily relate to being a missionary. Um, sure. This one this one actually I think kind of does because you're saying, I always hear missionaries say, oh, God, let us hear um, we heard this from God. And a lot of people have this question. Um, this is from Pineapples of Proverbs. That's our username. How do you know if you're hearing from God or if it's your own mind slash desires? So, wow. Um, I have a few. I'll just say my stuff real quick. All but right. first thing, it. just make sure it aligns with the word of God. Obviously, that's the f- one of the first things. Because God's never going to disagree with what he says in his word. Um, and then 
John 14, 26, he will teach you all things and bring you remembrance, all that I said to you. So this relates to the Holy Spirit. So Mm -hmm. you can listen to your Holy Spirit and what they're saying and what it's saying to you. Um, And a lot of people are going to be like, well, how do you do that? Um, And so I've seen in my life, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. When I read the Bible, I, I remember, I try to remember what it says. And the Holy Spirit, a lot of times for me in situations, will bring up that knowledge that I've gained from the Bible in a way. So it won't be like any random piece of advice I've never heard, but I'm like, oh yeah, that I shouldn't do that because the Bible says this. And I feel like the Holy Spirit brings up that knowledge in me or remembrance of what the Bible says. So it kind of goes back to the Bible. Um, and then just remembering that the heart, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. So people will be always like, oh yeah, I'll just follow my heart. And that's not <laughs> great advice because your heart is a lot of times based in what the world wants. Yeah. And the only person that's ever lived that his heart was in the right place was Jesus. He was fully in Jesus. And if your heart is partially in the world, it's going to try to fit those desires. So you can't always listen to your heart. So just, again, going back to what the word of God says and um, making sure that's the right thing. Um, that's my answer. I'd love to hear what Rick has to say about that. Boy, right on. I'd say number one is it, it needs to not contradict anything in the Bible. Yeah. You know, God is not going to tell you something or what you, you know, that contradicts what mm-hmm. his word has already revealed to us. It's got to be right in line with, with yeah. the Bible. Um, and, and I think, you know, the other thing that you may, may feel, um, if you hear his voice is not confusion, but peace. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say voice, what do you mean? Do you hear loud booming voices? No, I never. <laughs> I've never heard any loud boom, booming voices. Um, yeah. You know, I never, never have. Um, but but uh, at times I'll I'll have a thought come mm-hmm. to me and uh, realize that oh that thought I believe that thought is from God. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's another thing too that I've realized is like God will confirm. Your, your actions in a way you like an example in my life is like, God, if you want me to continue doing photography and videography and just like content creation in general, give me some jobs. Cause I didn't have too mm-hmm. many jobs at the time. And the week that week he gave me, I think I had four jobs that week and it just <laughs> kept going and going. So obviously like you can have that go the other way around where you're like, you'll ask for something and, but it's the wrong thing. And maybe Satan will try to confirm that it's the right thing, but just God, God will open the door, the right doors for you to, to do the things that, he needs you to do right he's not going to make it impossible for you to do if that's his will for your life so another one from bethany um does praying for someone's health or praying for government government officials really matter when god's in control of everything go ahead well i'll I'll let you guys (laughs) chime in on that but but right away um you know we are we are told to pray Mm -hmm. um pray unceasingly yeah (laughs) and and so um, you know, even if God is sovereign over everything, and I, and I believe that he is, I don't think there's one renegade molecule out there that's not under his control. Yeah. So on one hand, you might think, well, if everything's under his control, why even pray? Mm-hmm. Well, we should pray because he's commanded us to pray. <laughs> okay, I'd say that's a good enough reason. Yeah. And, and how our prayers work with his sovereignty um, that's above my pay grade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, he knows how our prayers work with his sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't command us to pray. Yeah. So there's obviously power in prayer. 
I don't know exactly how it works with the fact that he's sovereign over everything, but I know it works. Mm-hmm. And there's like there's an example in the Bible, right? When um, Abraham he he's like talking to God about the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's like like please don't destroy it if there's like thirty people, and then it just keeps dwindling. But he did like get God to agree that like you know like save it if there's a certain amount of people, which unfortunately there wasn't. But which is <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I think a lot of those times, too, God was just showing him that there wasn't that amount of people. Because God, he doesn't change his mind necessarily. He knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, in Matthew, Matthew 6, 8, says, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that I have done before you ask him. And I think that's where the question comes from a lot. Like, if he already knows what I want, then why would I pray for it? But the verse right after that says, In this manner, therefore pray. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> so that's the commandment you're talking about. Um, and I, I almost see it as, as um, when you come to know Christ or when you accept him into your life, God doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to give him my salvation. He's saved now. You have to make that choice on your own. Right. God's waiting for you to accept his grace in the same way that when you pray, you're accepting God's favors and God's blessings and saying, God, yes, I want this. You're consenting to what he wants to do in your life. And if you don't ask, he won't receive. It says, knock and you shall receive. Seek and you will find me. Um, so it's like, if you don't ask for it, God's not going to just give you it. He wants you to, he wants it like it's the whole free will thing where you ask for it. Yeah. I like to think of it as uh, almost as if, you know, God's a gentleman, right? He knocks. We like, sometimes we want him to, to kick down the door, you know, clean up our <laughs> lives and everything and be like, I'm Jesus and I'm here to like clean it up. But no, he, he knocks and you open the door and he's like, Hey, uh, I'm Jesus. You want to like, you know, like let me come in and do some of these problems. Like, nah, I got it. You know, slam the door on his face and he knocks, right? So you have to let him in and ask for stuff like that. Yeah. And just another example, Jesus prayed, so we should probably pray as well. <laughs> if the perfect one it's had a to good pray. example to follow. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think we answered that one pretty good too. Um how much time do we got left? Five minutes? Let's see which one's kind of fast to answer. Do dogs go to heaven? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Benjamin asks, are dogs going to heaven? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I hope so. A lot so. of people are, are really concerned so. with this question because they're like, I mean, if, I, if my I dog's not so. going to heaven, I don't know if I want to be there. Um, I mean, I saw it in a dream, my family and dogs, so hopefully hopefully that wasn't just my imagination. But okay, so with wings. The, the Bible never says if animals, <laughs> shoot, if shoot your fall. specific <laughs> animals are going to go to heaven with you. So we don't have a definite answer for this. The only thing I can say is in Isaiah 11, it talks about all these animals in heaven. Um, and a lot of people will use this to be like, oh, it's just metaphorically. But if, if you listen to this, it's going to be, it'd be weird for the Bible to use this as a metaphor. Um, so Isaiah 11, 6, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion will and the yearling together. The little child will lead them. The cow will feed on the bear. Oh, with the bear, not on the bear. I was like, <laughs> yo, what? It's a weird <laughs> twist. The young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play with the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand on the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy All on all my holy mountain. For the earth... AC hmm. 
will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So it talks about all these animals in heaven. So I'm sure there'll be yeah, there's gonna be animals, in, animals heaven. in heaven. Not sure if it's gonna be your specific like, yeah. I'm cat hoping Betsy, but hey, no, I think Betsy would be there. <laughs> I guess we'll find out when we're there. We'll find out. Have you ever had any pets, Rick? Dogs? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know, I hope uh, Jack, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's our cocker spaniel who died, um, will be in heaven. Yeah. But I know if he's not. It's not going to take away from my joy <laughs> experience. of being with the Lord. Just a four-star so. review on heaven. My dog was there. Everything else is pretty good. <laughs> right, right. But I hope Jack will be up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good spot to end it off on. Rick, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, um, thank you for taking your time. If there's any last words you want to talk about, um, now's the time, I guess. Um, or any last advice for our generation or something. Well, um, just um, the main focus of our ministry, I said, is Muslims, but it's equipping men and women who've already left Islam and are following Christ, it's equipping them to go and do the job because they can do a much better job in sharing the gospel to their Muslim neighbor than I could. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we have found over time that our main purpose is to help equip uh, um, people who've left Islam and uh, or if we've led anyone to, to Christ, to then equip them to go and spread the gospel as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've just got one last question. So I just want to know if somebody's like debating on whether or not they should be a minister. Let's say, uh, what would be something that you would tell them uh, if they're debating about being a missionary? Yeah, missionary. You know, I think um, you know they can read uh, read books uh, about uh, former missionaries. Uh, Jim Elliott is one. Google him. Uh, read about him. Um, uh, look into different mission organizations. Um, and uh, then if you have uh, missionaries that your church is sending out, whatever your church may be, try to talk with them. Try to um, um, get an email address and write to them. Or mm-hmm. if they're visiting and speaking at your church, go up afterwards and talk to them about it. And then the next thing would be go on a vision trip um, that might be opened up through your church, uh, a vision trip to go and, and visit a place where some missionaries are living and see what it's like in another culture. And, uh, uh, in fact, um, we're going to have a mission trip to Nepal in the spring. Sweet, yeah. I think and we should all talk about that after. Maybe see if we can all go. That'd be yeah, really cool. wait, yeah, that would be awesome. And and it would be great to to bring you all over there to, uh, you know, share your faith with some Buddhist kids and some yeah. Hindu kids, and you know, um, and maybe go on a trek into Annapurna and things like that. Sounds awesome. Awesome. Okay. We'll make sure to document that experience if it ever happens. Hopefully, <laughs> okay. it will, but yeah, you yeah, guys will right, see it. Right. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, yeah. It was really cool talking with you. Thanks we'll for having you. Thank me. you so much. This is yeah, great. You. you guys really, really. You know, grateful for what you're doing yeah. with this podcast. And if you want to support Rick, link will be down below. So, thank you. Peace. I, thank you guys for watching. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine.